So Lisa, we have an exciting guest coming on the podcast today. I am super excited about her. Well, I know that we don't have guests very often. So when we do, they are amazing. So tell me a little bit more about who we have today. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. We have Heather McTeer Tony. Uh, she is part of the Fast Chicks Tri Club, but a lot of people don't know that she's an a, a politician. She's an attorney, a civil servant. Uh, she served in President Barack Obama's Environmental Protection Agency as a regional admin. So uh, let's just say we're going to be overlapping diversity, endurance, and the environment today. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So, mm -hmm. Heather, this one of the things, I mean, Shona said we've been talking about this for a long time, but long um, time. Yeah. For one of the things that came up for me, um, well, I went to, I didn't compete in Kona, not that good. <laughs> I right. went to Kona two years ago, well, mm -hmm. 2018, and I was, I just felt uncomfortable mm -hmm. with um, the way in which this small Hawaiian island was um, mm -hmm. like inundated with primarily white people and the mm -hmm. trash cans were overflowing right and it mm -hmm. just felt like there was this complete lack of awareness deference concern for respect for respect like for the mm -hmm. island for the people who live on the island right like mm -hmm. iron man like tries to ush, brush away the folks experiencing homelessness you know like it just felt yep. gross. And I just, I had like a kind of dirty feeling about it. Mm -hmm. And so that has like stayed with me. And then I've started to look at trail running and running and thinking about the connection to the environment and the ways in which, you know, the land, particularly the land that it belongs to indigenous communities, right? That white people took away and then white runner. I don't know. I don't have very, my thoughts aren't clear, but I just feel like there's a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. There is yeah. a ton to, to talk about. And, you know, Lisa, you, you're doing what I think of as the initial connectors. Mm. Mm. And that is through all of our senses. Um, you're going to smell it, touch it, taste it, feel it, see it. And that's how you connect to not only the environment, but what are the concerns, the issues around the environment? Mm -hmm. I'm a triathlete, I'm a woman of color, and I'm an environmentalist. And so I see all of these things connecting together um, in a way that sometimes we just ignore. So I think to start addressing what you're talking about, and that's what you're physicalizing, those interactions in the environment, sort of big race, and then what's really going on in the spaces, um, we have to talk about two different things. And I think it's important for us to first sort of set the table and define what it is. There is environmentalism, environmental justice, mm -hmm. which is a term we hear a lot. Uh, and there's another term that is, I think, newer that people are starting to understand, and that's climate justice. And so there's a difference mm -hmm. between the two. Environmental justice is dealing with issues that have an environmental impact right around the places where you live. And when you think of environmental justice or environmental injustices, you're thinking about that landfill that may be 
um, in, the, in the community of color, those overflowing trash cans, the toxics, the chemicals, the plants that may be located in and around communities of color or that traditionally in places um, where you don't have a lot of permitting. Mm -hmm. So those things that you taste and you feel and you see that are dirty or nasty when we're out running or we're biking. I've got a great story about Louisville Ironman I'll tell you about. Um, or swimming. <laughs> um, that's dealing with environmental justice. That's one. So let's put that those issues in one box. There's another box that's very important that impacts um, triathlon and athletes as well and racing as well, and it's climate and climate justice. Now that's one that is longer term and it deals with the actual experiences that we see with weather actions, weather interactions mm -hmm. um, that impacts the communities that um, are not in a in a as good of an infrastructural position to be able to ward that off. So with respect to racing, that's how many of us had races canceled where the right? Because there was um, a whole lot of rain, the river flows weren't uh, good and they didn't allow us to swim. Or um, those times that folks have had to cut a bike because there was too much smoke or a race got canceled as a result of smoke. Um, or hurricanes that have come through. And if we really look at the numbers, we'll see that that has increased actually substantially over the past 10 to 15 years. So much so that there's a shift in where we're doing these races, how we're doing these races. And then mm -hmm. here's the part, what is the infrastructure basis that that community has in place to be able to sustain it? So that part of what you're thinking about, all of those people who are coming in town, bringing yes family, all of their stuff, how is that impacting uh, either sustaining or harming mm -hmm. infrastructure of that community? Because once all those mm -hmm. folks, they've got to be able to protect themselves from future climate problems. Uh, at the same time, you've got business and government who want to see all of these people right. come in. That's right. the first dollars, you know, they want this. But they also want to make sure that their streets aren't broken down after we leave. They want to make sure that races aren't canceled in the next four to five years and that they can get long contracts, but that they have sustainable infrastructure, strong and solid, to be able to maintain it. So that's the climate justice part. Communities that have a strong tax base and that are typically... Um, more white than others, they can um, they can sustain that. So you'll notice, like in twenty, well, we had twenty twenty was crazy because that was COVID. But right. uh, twenty nineteen is when we were all sort of planning our twenty twenty race schedules, and um, you know you'll notice we were all sort of going back and forth. Oh my gosh, it's going to be a new race here. There's a new race there. Uh, I was really I'm in the south, so I was really excited to race um, the first Ironman seventy point three in Memphis, uh, and it got canceled due to COVID. But just the yes. whole of opening up to different places and the primary concern everybody had was what was the infrastructure going to look like is my swim going to get canceled am I going to be able to run what's that run route going to be like and the people who are thinking and planning this out have to think about things um, like are we running by a toxic chemical plant are we running in an air that we have a place where we have to monitor the air we have athletes that are disabled cancer survivors uh, who deal with asthma and they have to be cognizant of the spaces where they are. Mm -hmm. All things that are taken into place, uh, taken into account when we're thinking 
about racing. We just don't realize it. So let's put out the let's put just put away the the stereotype right stereotype right now. If you are a triathlete, a runner, a ultra runner, a cyclist, a swimmer, you do anything that is outside um, and engage in the elements, you are an environmentalist, whether you like it or not. You just are. Look, Heather, Heather, I said the other day that we're environmentalists and we're meteorologists trying to figure out what the weather is going to be. And because, you know, I'm, I'm feeling your point really clearly, because if you recall, that was one of the things that we had a challenge with um, with uh, Ironman North Carolina 70.3 is that we were scheduled um, to race in 2018. And then Hurricane Florence came through about a month before the race in 2018. And mm -hmm. so what was fascinating to me, I, I was less disappointed that the race was canceled because I kind of felt it coming. It, they were waiting, you know, a little late uh, to let us know that it was going to be canceled. But the other piece to it was that I was thinking as I was watching the coverage, because in August of that year, I'd gone to training camp on the very same course. And then I'm watching on the news, the very same course that I had just ridden on. And so that straightaway that I was on for 20 miles is now its own river. Right. Or, you know, the swim that I just finished up for training camp. Now you cannot see the shore that we walked out from anymore because it's just not there. And so, you know, some of those things that I was thinking about, I was thinking to myself, if I lived there, how would I handle this? What would I do? What if I didn't have that 20 miles of straightaway to drive back and forth to work? Then how would I get to work? You know, there are real life people going back to your point, Lisa, there are real live people that live and call home the places that we just come to visit for racing. Yes. What does that mean? What are we leaving them with um, in ways? And I know some things we cannot affect, you know, some of it we can't, but much of it we can. So how can we affect that? I, I'm sorry, but I don't see um, athletes getting their medal and then turning back around and going to help with trash. I, we just, we don't. And so what, what could we possibly do to support these folks that they would want to see us come back? <laughs> I always want to leave a place kind of better than we find it, but what can we do to make them want to uh, allow us to come back and, and have this privilege of racing in their city or their town? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it digs right into the heart of altruism. We, I love triathlon because to me, it is an altruistic sport. I have, of all the sports I've ever competed in, triathlon is, those, is the one sport that you can be in the back of the pack, pedaling your little heart out and some mm -hmm. will come up to you and say, keep going. You're going to make it. It's going to be good, right? And I just really enjoy that. That same altruistic spirit is what we have to bring to the communities that we visit. That same sense of altruism that we have for one another can be shared with the communities and we have to express to the race directors, to the organizations that this is what we this is what we want and this is what we desire. I think there are a number of things that I see athletes doing already uh, that are trying to have some impact. Um, most athletes tend to try to be somewhat healthy uh, because racing requires it. Uh, nobody wants to train for 12 months, six months for a race there on the day of, um, and then something happens. We all know the saying, you race the race you're given. You know, we can't control all the elements, but we sure as hell care for them. Uh, and in that process, we have to train in a way that um, creates that altruism that we want to leave in that community. So that means um, that we want to make sure we are um, 
not getting these disposable plastic water bottles when all of us are doing none or something special that we put in our special water bottles, but on race day, we find these disposable things and we leave them off on the side of the road. Even though every single day that you're, you're training, um, that's not what you do. So we want to find ways that we can take that same spirit of what we do while we're training and transfer it into those spaces. I think we can also do a really good job of respecting and understand what is this community doing? What are they working on? What are they trying to, um, to, to move forward on in this space? How can we help? Um, sometimes I think we get the attitude of we're doing them a favor by coming. And uh, all too often we find mm. there that is not the case. You mm -hmm. somebody in a grocery store or um, that's at a hotel or a traffic cop uh, or somebody that's like, I'll be glad when all these folks leave. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, um, changing that mentality, I think is also another really important, um, important thing to do. And I will say this too, there are some spaces in some communities where there are things that are going on. There are connections that are being made. Um, there was a great, program um, in Louisville where I think there was Ironman Foundation uh, had people to sign up with Habitat for Humanity. You arrived there the day before, went out to um, that morning, um, I think it was a Saturday morning, and uh, could go and volunteer with Habitat for Humanity. Uh, and that you, the, your race club got an award for participation. That's what the community needed. Our Man Foundation was really good about connecting and asking athletes to volunteer or their Sherpas. I was a Sherpa. Let me be clear. I'm not racing full Iron Man at this stage in my life. <laughs> I'm not there at that place. So I, mm -hmm. I really, really well though for full races. <laughs> um, and uh, that was that was what the Sherpas and family members were doing. Great partnership. It, it that was a problem in Louisville, and it was a way to celebrate the um, what the community was trying to do in the same way that people were celebrating that great finish line at Louisville. Uh, so there are definitely things that I think can be done, but it do it does take interaction. It does take participation and us paying attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. You know, as you're talking, these are really great suggestions, tangible things that people can do. And I keep coming back to this, um, your point about altruism. And I actually looked up the definition of altruism. And it says the belief in or practice of disinterested and selfless concern for the well-being of others. And, you know, I think to some extent, yes, triath triathlon community, endurance sport community is like that. But then I've also encountered endurance sport athletes who are not like that, right? They are so singularly focused on their success and their training and their needs. It's not even entering their head about the environmental impact that they might have in, in a city, in an environment, right? That perhaps um, could, you know, could be damaged by the race's uh, presence. And I just like, I feel like it's a little bit of an emotional connection that needs to happen, right? Like that, that is my problem versus, you know, Shauna and I talked about this with challenge Daytona and the COVID piece and mm -hmm. how so many people, 
again, a predominantly white group of people were desperate to race and it didn't enter their mind that going there was actually creating risk for a significant number of people who are vulnerable because they're essential workers, um, you know, from people in hotels, from restaurants, from medical professionals, like that, that wasn't even something they thought about. And that's not necessarily an environmental thing, but it feels like that emotional piece is missing. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I think that we have just entered into a whole new season of recognizing some of the deep-seated racial issues that we have in our country. And while I, I, our experiences sometimes within triathlon are altruistic, we still have to get to that space. That's that one set few hours of time when all of the individual work that we're doing, there's this sense that folks have done it and in our own individual spaces we're out here racing but we can we can tell someone else hey good job at least you know sometimes there's some people who do that what's missing from that is what it takes to get there so that is i may see a lot of white people who are really happy to see me um or or at the at the race they say may say hello they may not say hello um but they're not concerned about whether or not, or it doesn't even cross their mind whether or not I could train in the same way that they could. Why? Because in 2020, I couldn't ride a bike outside. There was no way um, in some of the racially divisive spaces, and especially that we've seen have happened um, over the past two weeks around the Washington, D.C. area, um, in the southeast, people of color being targeted, the very idea that what it would take and what it takes for me to, to get there is different from someone else's experience. And so that part of it, I think that you're talking about, Lisa, yes, that is very true because as a country, we are now reckoning with the fact that we really don't live in two equal societies. Um, that's been a splash of cold water for some people. You, you've ha I've seen you know, threads in race, uh, in race groups uh, where you know, folks invite People of color say, hey, come on, I haven't seen you at the, the Saturday run. No, you have not, because we run through an area where there are Confederate flags. And the that homeowner might let you ride on by, but I guarantee when I ride by, they're going to let the dogs out. That has happened repeatedly. So we can't afford to go out on a run or a ride and get dropped because for us getting dropped doesn't mean that we're just going to be, you know, lagging behind. It literally means that we might be in some type of physical danger. Recognize that that impacts our training. So all of the altruism that we feel on that race day, understand we're coming from different spaces. And one of those spaces that I do think some white people are coming from is the assumption that we all did the same thing or close to the same practices to get here without recognizing some of the roadblocks that people of color really had to cross over in order to just show up. Uh, roadblocks, boulders, fences, you, you, <laughs> you name it, we've dealt with, I mean, Lisa and I, we, we talked about this um, previously just around, um, you know, insurrection at the Capitol on that day, exactly how mm. we managed that very day. Um, Lisa was swimming at the time and came out and looked at the news and was like, what happened here? Um, and I had heard rumblings on uh, black girls do bike on social media or on black girls run or what have you, that well, stuff was going remember, down. Shana, I said, all of y'all who were in the D DMV. I yes, said, you did. And I said, I don't care 
what for no reason whatsoever are you to come out of your house and I did I said I don't you're not taking your garbage can down you are not taking your recycling down and you will just have to wait to get the mail until after Thursday Lisa she said she said I I don't care she said I don't care if you got to run laps around your couch you are not going out of this Right. It's the truth, but we, we planned very differently, but I think you're bringing up a great point that, you know, it, it's not a, especially in 2020, it has not been a once or twice, uh, a one time happening when it's an instance, it's not just an instance, it's been our reality. It's been our reality for years, but I think it's intensified in the last year. And so, you know, me, me and this trainer wheel that I've got on my bike, we are like best friends right now yeah. because based on my schedule and based on my time, no, I'm not going to go riding my bike by myself anywhere. And I'm definitely not going to do it in this particular climate. Um, and so, you know, given that even with runs, you know, usually I'd think nothing of it, get together with my running partner at five o'clock in the morning, go run, go to work, do my usual thing. Mm-hmm. Now I schedule it where, you know, it's in the middle of the day when I know there's lots of other people out or I'll go with another group or I'm, it, it's just very thoughtful. And so I think we have, you know, kind of two different things going on here, definitely environmental issues, but then, you know, this pandemic has brought out some of the best and some of the worst in folks. Mm -hmm. And so how do we hold it all together? It's not just looking at the weather forecast anymore. We got to look, (laughs) we got to roll it all into one. And, and, you know, we're in a really interesting period right now because of COVID, because, because of what we are fixing in terms of our democracy and the recognition that we're coming to around equality in our country. I want to sort of show a different side of this as well as what um, policymakers, particularly people of Black policymakers, leaders, city leaders, organizational leaders are trying to balance right now. Because make no mistake, these races are good economic engines for communities. Uh, I'm a former mayor. And, um, you know, was with EPA. So I've worked in in local, state, and federal government. And we do want to see equity in terms of the distribution of opportunity to communities of color. Uh, We want to see races happen in places where it is giving people an opportunity to experience different cultures within our country an opportunity to come into contact with people that maybe they've had stereotypical thoughts about and show that it doesn't have to be an all white community in a suburban neighborhood that you're running through, um, that there are really good spaces in this country that some people just haven't been exposed to. And there are policymakers and corporations and businesses that actually I think would, would want to see that happen. But what has to happen, and this goes back to the conversation about climate and infrastructure and why it is so important, is that those communities that we wanna go to have to have the infrastructure to be able to sustain the races and things that are coming into town. That is, they've got to have the road infrastructure. You can't ride a bike on torn up streets. You can't run on torn up uh, sidewalks. Right, Uh, right. You have to have a solid infrastructure. You've got to have a city crew and mayor or council uh, or 
or, or chamber that is supportive, that will be there even to pick up those bottles and things uh, in plastic afterwards, um, or to be forward thinking and sit out recycling. Um, we have to understand that, that communities are putting out additional fire, ambulance, um, police support in some of these spaces. They've got to do that for races. Lord knows they don't need anybody being extra and racist and other, other stuff happening at the same time. That's a right. in and of itself. But I do think that um, we see this as an opportunity, again, to provide equity in communities, to provide and put those dollars back into the communities. That's why I was so excited about Memphis. Oh, gosh, I was so excited mm -hmm. about I'm still excited about Memphis. Memphis was canceled 2021. I'm already signed up and ready to race. Um, it canceled 2020. I'm already excited about 2021. Um, but the reason I'm so excited about Memphis is because Memphis is a community that is predominantly African-American. And so, uh, you know, but it has a beautiful culture of everything from Elvis Presley to B.B. Um, King down uh, on the club streets. It has beautiful parks. I, I mean, mm -hmm. is awesome. Um, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with the roads. I was over there in December. And so I know they're working on some things, but it's an, it's a chance to showcase how we can make this happen. And those same dollars spend, um, in California, running through in on the ocean uh, or in, in Florida and different places, we can put this and provide some equity into communities of color that are long overdue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and you know, that, that makes me, so Lisa and I, we're always thinking through the tiers or the layers of folks that are involved in endurance sport. You know, mm -hmm. we think about the athlete, we think about businesses that are connected to triathlon, um, whether it's, you know, someone that's making bike wheels or it's someone making kits. Um, even thinking about, of course, race directors, event planners, and so forth. What would we, or what should we suggest for all three of those populations to do in support of both um, different athletes uh, that come from the entire spectrum of social identities? How do we support them at, while also at the same time supporting the environment that we're taking over for a day, a week, a month even? Um, some of these races, you know, it's a weekend of activities where it might be a running festival or something of that nature. What can we do to support all three of those particular groups in ways that um, include everyone, but also don't continue to ransack the environment that we uh, have the privilege of utilizing for a few hours in a day. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you three things. One, I think we should certainly take notes from our international racers and friends. Um, it is amazing to me how, you know, you can go and race in Dubai or in Germany or in South Africa or Asia and automatically we are by by the rules. If they say don't throw anything on the side of the road in Dubai, you don't throw anything on the side of the road in Dubai. Ashana, I know you've raced in London before. When they have rules about how things start, we all of a sudden get in line and abide by those rules that oh, right? we are guests in their country. We, so we are, and we, we yeah. act like we have real home training. <laughs> I think one of the first things we can do is take note from, again, our, our international um, 
friends and races and be just a, as good of a guest at home as we are when we leave. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect because everybody has different roles and different spaces and different ways of doing things. But the way that we don't question, we should also do the same thing here. Follow the rules that are set out by the city, by the state, uh, and if they are focused on recycling, if they are focusing on cleaning their city, if they are focusing on kindness and hospitality, whatever it is, let's get in line with it. Uh, I think that's a great first step for all of us because, you know, before we ever arrive in a race space, the, the city, the corporations, the businesses, they've had meetings, they've done a ton of things um, to talk about what vision they want to put before the world when the world stage comes to them. That's number one. Um, number two, I say that we, and this is one I'm gonna get in trouble about, but um, we really have to demand that race directors and the organizations take our health priority number one, without a doubt. And they're gonna say, oh, we do that. We're always mm -hmm. making sure that everyone stays healthy. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about Louisville. This is my Louisville story. Uh-oh, so, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> Louisville, I don't remember if it was 2014 or 2015. It was one of those two years. Um, and I was Sherpa for, uh, for, uh, for a group. And we were doing, um, and it was for the full Ironman race, the swim, the bike, everything was on. At the time, I was also serving as the regional administrator for EPA in the Southeast and Kentucky was one of my states. Well, weeks before the race, we had been getting some water samples from Kentucky in the river that the folks would be swimming in that weren't meeting the bar. And there were, everybody was, you know, they were trying not to freak anybody out, but there was some possibility that that swim might be canceled because the water quality was just not suitable. Um, the friends that knew me and knew, you know, I was in Atlanta and they knew I was in Atlanta and they knew what I did. I was getting calls and, and texts, hey, Heather, is it okay to swim in this water? And I was like, I don't know. My staff thought I was crazy because I asked for water sample results from Louisville, Kentucky every day. I want, and, and towards the week before, I wanted them to take those tests twice a day at a minimum. We got up to the race. I got there on that day and I promise you, Sean, I was this close from whipping out a federal badge um, and going up to the race directors if I didn't have those results. So I had, you know, official people from the, the regional office talking to the state water folks. I'm sure people just saw me walking around with a cap and a hat on like, oh, that's just some volunteer. They had no idea that I was literally the woman who was about to make a decision if they were gonna get in that water or not. Because if I had said no, nobody was gonna swim that day. And that was gonna be the end of that. <laughs> but to me, I needed to make sure that I was sure that I was sure that I was sure that the water quality that people were gonna be swimming in was not gonna have folks coming out of that water with three eyes and um, you know another extra set of legs and that there weren't gonna be problems later on down the line. Whether there are, there always gonna be some issue because no water body is perfect. But what we have to require is that state agencies and federal agencies do their job and they test 
to, at least to the best of their ability, confirm that it's okay for human beings to be in. Got water samples back the day before, it was a clear, I had a good time just Sherpa and cheering on and nobody had to know that I was about to be the most hated woman uh, in all of Louisville for Iron Man because nobody knew that I was standing there waiting. With, Close call. They had no idea, but I mean, I was, Shauna, you know how I am. I, I was, I do not saying yet. I think send them to my laptop. Are we good? We not cool. Okay. All right. Oh yes. I was ready. And (laughs) it was, I I was ready, but that's just how important it is to me. Environment Mm -hmm. and protecting our water, our public waterways, protecting um, what people are ingesting. And Mm -hmm. I want to go back to this, what you said, we have a diverse group of athletes that come from all walks of life. Everyone from people who are at the top of their game, elite athletes to, you know, that lady who is a two-time cancer survivor and she has come back and this is, you know, her, her part of her recovery. We have seen veterans who've lost limbs that have completed full races. We have seen people come back from depression. We have seen people with brain tumors. We have seen people with autoimmune disease. Every aspect of the physical health of a human person, we have seen cross that line. Uh, including, I was really excited to see the young man who f- crossed the finish line. I think he was the first one who ever finished an Ironman with Down syndrome. We've seen people, you know, assist. And I've, you know, been in the water with two or three men who are assisting someone else who doesn't have the ability just to make sure they can finish that race. The last thing we need to be doing is putting their health at risk. So I am stressing that as my number two. We have to make sure that folks do their job to protect us after we have invested all of this time and money to race. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely <laughs> agree. Well, because the, it, isn't that like an oxymoron, right? Like we're all there because we're trying to maintain our health. We like to be out there competing. Some of us uh, triathlon, the, the, the lifestyle itself is how we maintain our health. Mm-hmm. Isn't that contrary that you've spent months and months to train for a race and then you jump in water that's not healthy for you and then all of a sudden you're sick as a dog that defeats the whole point of doing what we do all purpose but we don't Hmm. again it's that it part of what happens uh and we see it right you 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 get to the edge of the water and everybody's excited and anxious and you spend all these months um and then you don't want anything to happen you don't you don't you want everything to be okay that's natural uh but accepting that it may not be good for everyone's health. And again, that goes back to the altruism, Lisa. I may be able to deal with it. My health might not be compromised or like you were discussing with that race situation where people wanted to go race because they were in good health, but not recognizing that the other people were not in good health. Um, That's where that altruism, we have to work on that. We have to work on recognizing that, you know what, I might be able to get in this water. I might have a few sinus problems, but somebody else might get in this water and they they can't take it. And you know, I think about um, the person who comes to mind for me, and, and she was a, a wonderful, amazing athlete. And that's Dawn, Shauna, you know, uh, who I'm talking about. Uh, she 
uh, passed away from, from breast cancer. I remember watching Dawn swim in Ironman Augusta and she didn't have the, the same capacity and strength to be out there. And she swam it on her back and she floated her way down there. And, you know, she, she was making it along and she finished it within the time period. She was just doing the swim portion, but I had this just, I saw her at the end of my race, but I just had this overwhelming feeling that if, if it's not good enough for Dawn, if she can't get in this water and if it's harmful for her, cut the whole thing off. No, nobody's getting in the water because for her to put herself in that position, um, that to me is the altruistic effect that we should be seeking for in triathlon and in our society as a whole, quite frankly. Um, but it really matters when it comes to our environment and our climate. Mm, that's really interesting to think about it. Cause I've definitely been at races where the swim has been canceled and there are some angry triathletes about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of, well, I don't want to get in that water if I'm going to throw up. Right. Um, <laughs> right. but th- that piece that you're saying is that, you know, if one, two, five, 20 people run the risk of getting sick, then it's not worth it. Right. And I think that, um, particularly people who feel quite entitled or who have a lot of uh, majority identity, dominant identities, you know, I encourage them to have some empathy and kind of like understand that interconnection between the environment and human health, right? And that it's not enough that you want to do it, right? We need to think about the community. And I do think that there's an issue here in the United States broadly about individual versus community. And I think obviously mask wearing is one current example of people putting themselves ahead of the group. And I see that in triathlon with exactly what you're talking about. Um, and it's, it feels like there's a tension, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are things that they can do that we can do because for that majority, that dominant group, this, this is that time where we say, Hey, there's something you can do about it. This is why you support, um, your, your state infrastructure bills. This is why you support and you advocate for ensuring that we are talking about water, we are talking about air, um, that we're supporting climate action. I know there are a lot of folks who tend to think, oh, I don't have anything to do with climate. I don't have to do with anything with environment. That doesn't have to do with my race. But the reality is, is that supporting climate action means you're actually supporting funding for those water, those state agencies that are testing the water, that are ensuring that they are taking proper care so that you can swim. So not supporting the environmental advocacy of a state or of our federal government actually puts us in a worse position because it means there's nothing there to, to have prevented the situation. That's why um, climate sustainability and resilience is so important. It's so important. Great example, when we're parking our bikes in a parking lot or whatever they have space they have put for bike transition, it could be an asphalt parking lot, it can be uh, a field. Um, what happens if there's a big rain and it all gets washed away? You know. Where there's no, there's no place to put it. We've all been in through muddy fields, ants, all kinds of stuff. Um, but one little component that you don't think about could make or break how we race. And you'll see people who are complaining 
about what it is, if they would only support resiliency efforts, environmental resiliency efforts, there's already technology available, Lisa and Shauna, that could take something like that parking lot or that field and ensure that it has drainage. There's actually asphalt drainage where the water runs right through the asphalt um, as a mechanism to create resiliency from future climate actions, more floods, um, more, more um, uh, overextended rains. Supporting that type of climate action and resiliency means that those cities and communities can install that stuff so that even if there is a heavy rain, by the time you get up in the next morning, it's gone, it's gone and your race isn't canceled. That we're not waiting, like Shauna said, for that 20 mile stretch that she's got to ride on her bike that's a river to actually drain off because the, the technology and the uh, infrastructure dollars that we need for climate resiliency. And Shauna, that's what, that's what it is, is climate resiliency. Because these communities, as you said, they're preparing, making sure people can get back and forth to work through that 20 mile stretch of flooded water. Um, our man events or races are only for the weekend. People have to go to work every single day. So they're seeing right now, we've got more floods, We've got stronger storms with more water in them. It's sitting onto the road. And so we need to get that off. When we all support climate action like that, then those communities get the funding to put those things in places. And guess what? We can race. So that's, you know, Lisa, how we have to begin to see this and connect these dots to, yes, you're an environmentalist because you want to race and you don't want your race canceling. You don't want to be sitting in a bed of ants when you get on your bike. That makes you an environmentalist. It means you should support climate action. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you know, I'm thinking about because it's one thing that um, our coach here um, in the Annapolis area that she's done. I, I think we need to kind of put it on our to do list. I, I'm not saying that it needs to be every race, but I think as athletes, I think we need to put some events on our list um, that do directly support funding of whatever environmental activism that's going on. So, so for example, um, our coach, who is an English Channel swimmer, uh, she lives right on the edge of, uh, of the South River. And so for her, every year she does a seven mile swim um, and she gives you different uh, links, one mile, three, five and seven that you can actually swim the distance and whatever your registration fee was, it all goes towards uh, conservation of that very same river that we use for training every single week. It's a mode of transportation for lots of folks that work and live on the river itself. Um, I have a good friend of mine who paddleboards every morning across the river over to her yoga and then paddleboards right back to her house. You know, And so I, I do think there needs to be really conscious efforts on the side of athletes to say, look, I, yes, I realize, I mean, some of us pay two, three, four in the hundreds of dollars um, for Ironman racing and other distances of racing. It's not that big of a sacrifice for a lot of us that have the means to spend $50 for the charity swim to conserve the river that you already use anyway for training. And so I'm just wondering how we can continue to kind of, you know, add those things on our to-do list as athletes to continue to see, support these folks because they're there, like you said, Heather, they're, they're there, but are we um, 
are we contributing back to those that we continually take from? You know, we, we take from the South River Association every single weekend. Most of my people, and we call them the swim mafia. The swim mafia, we're out training on that very same river probably for six or seven months out of the year. Yeah. So why not do some of those things or whether and it doesn't have to be swim, it could be any of our sports, but what are we doing and how are we seeking those uh, collaborations and partnerships out? I, I have not been as conscious about doing that. And I, that might be something I want to put on my list, Lisa, um, to do each season, uh, to seek out races and events that are supporting um, the environment that we're using up all the doggone time. That, that, mm-hmm. that needs to be something on our to-do list. Absolutely. You know, and it it starts at home. You're starting in the right place. We may all travel to different places to participate in races, but we train at home. So take care of home. The athletes who are in these places where we go to race, they know their homes and they want us to respect their homes. Um, One of the the coolest things about um, Augusta 70.3 was um, there's so much there's so many jokes, but also love and joy about the uh, the, the river and um, the alligators in the river, <laughs> which we'll write about. Um, right. But the people who live there year round and who spend time in that river cutting down the seagrass to make people comfortable so that they don't feel like they're swimming um, into uh, some, some that type of mossy pit, um, that, that actually take the time and care to scuba dive and clean up that river. They don't do it just the week before the race. They do that all year long. They monitor those spaces all year long. Um, that's their home. That's their training ground. And so, yes, we should start at home. They take great care of that space. And it's such a good example of how people are concerned about these places that we coexist in with our environment and wanna make sure that we are, um, we, we are really, really protecting it. We call it creation care for Christians. It's creation care, right? Gave us, God gave us this responsibility to take care of mm-hmm. as part of our charge. And so mm-hmm. places that do that very, very well, and we should, we should take up that mantle and do the same. It will look differently in different places. For some uh, spaces, it is water. For some spaces, it's air, simple air monitoring. So let's talk about Texas for a moment, where we have the world's largest number of petrochemical facilities, oil refineries um, that are located across the entire Gulf Coast region. Just running outside, if you don't live in that environment, means you're now susceptible to breathing in air that you're not used to. It's like going over to do Colorado or Denver, where you're not used to being in that altitude. There's an adjustment that your body has to make that is based upon the environment. That's environmental justice. The toxins in the environment are inhibiting how you breathe. So for someone who has asthma, they've gotta be aware of just what the levels say outside. They need to know about um, what are not just the allergens, but what are the actual toxic chemicals that are outside if I'm gonna race in Texas. 
So people who are in Texas, they do air monitoring. Their issue may not be the water control so much as it is just to make sure that people who are coming to race in Texas are aware of the fact that for the past five days, this is what the air monitoring has been. This is what the chemicals are. This is what we're expecting moving forward. And that they have the tools and resources to do that all year long. That's supporting environmental justice and it's protecting our ability to race in these spaces. Mm. I really like the way you're connecting um, policy and our ability to race, right? Because I think one of the things that Shauna and I hear a lot is that endurance sport broadly is separate from our political environment, right? And that, mm-hmm. you know, never the twain shall meet, right? Like <laughs> as though there are these bubbles that just are impervious. Yeah. Um, and so I really appreciate how you're kind of highlighting really clearly that local, state, and federal policy around some of the things that you've highlighted has a direct connection to our ability to race on the land that we are um, wishing to race on, right? And the air that we breathe and the water that we swim in. So, you know, I do think, I'm a big, big policy person, right? I think that it's really crucial that endurance sport athletes understand that connection um, rather than just say, you know, triathlon, cycling, running, that's my escapism, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to worry about the impact that that has. Um, You know, I just think that that's something really tangible that folks can do. They can advocate for, you know, funding, policy change, awareness, right? From city council all the way up to the federal government. Absolutely. We have to see ourselves in those spaces um, to, to understand and effectuate that change. It is critical. You cannot separate the two. Um, So uh, for all of that escapism that we desire, um, the want to go to Kona, and I'm really pushing some good friends of mine that are at that Kona level to go ahead and do what they need to do so I can go Sherpa. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, But none of that will happen if I'm not effective in ensuring that there is sound climate policy that protects the natural habitats that people enjoy so much. What good is it if you get to Kona and you can't race it because the, the, uh, there's not protective and resilient infrastructure or that there is not enough to go around. In other words, the infrastructure has to be protective to the people who actually live there year round versus this. Because we are coming to a time and a space where very difficult decisions are now having to be made. Can our uh, community handle it? Do we have the capacity to be this for even this just week, this one weekend? What does it cost us? And and let's think about that in real terms, including COVID right now. Um, Spaces that you said, uh, Shauna, in North Carolina that are looking right now at what the next hurricane season is going to look like. We came, we're coming off of the worst hurricane season we have had in decades um, on top of the hottest year we have ever recorded in history, ever, period. These two things combined is already telling us that next year is going to be, it's going to be rough. Um, regardless of what people think about climate, climate change, I, I don't, I think climate is here. It's not, it, it's constantly changing. We, we're dealing with climate action at this point. Um, but the science, it, it is what it is, right? 
so we you can't you can't argue with the science and the science is telling us based upon the fact that we had all these storms we had the bad worst year that and, and their sea level rise carolinas eh, they're looking a little sketchy right now and they're having to make some decisions do we put our emphasis in restoring and resiliency to protect our communities, to ensure that we have land for generations to come and protecting our businesses and our homeland? Or do we let all these people come over here? <laughs> um, potentially, you know, we get sick and then we can't do these things. Uh, and, and being supportive of policies that even if you live in California, protect Carolina is what allows us to do that. It is the folks that are in the Midwest um, that are dealing with flooding. You can't ride a bike through a flooded field or water. Out West, you can't cycle and run in the middle of a wildfire, which is, it's just not, we just can't do it. <laughs> Right. So right. that's why the climate policy is such a critical piece. And this is another glimpse into Heather's uh, crystal ball for the future. While we will constantly see races changing spaces, we are we will no longer see the time where races uh, and cities get two, three, five year contracts for races. I really believe that time is over. We're going to see those extended you know, three to five year contracts shortened down to one and a possible. And we're gonna see a lot of shift on a regular basis of where races will be held. Yeah. And that, that's something that, you know, we will all have to continue to consider moving forward. You know, th there are some races that are notorious for the swim being canceled or notorious for the, the bike being shortened, what have you. And, you know, so I, I think it's kind of, you know, that ostrich putting their head in the ground to say, I don't want to pay attention to that, even though I want to complain about it. I don't want to see the connections between all of it, that if I don't pay attention to it, then I don't get to race, which then um, prohibits me from doing what I love. And so, you know, even to me, we, we started the conversation talking about altruism. Shoot, even if you are selfish, you would still care about this work, right? I was very I'm selfish about New Orleans. I wanted to run, I, I was at New Orleans standing there in my yes. suit in the pouring rain when it was called. And you right. know, it, was, it was a storm. It was a major storm. They were trying to let pass and it just, it wasn't anywhere, right? And a lot of people don't like New Orleans. It's flat, it's hot. I'm, I went to school in New Orleans and I like to eat. So I choose my races based on <laughs> different things. I was, you know, I was hurt. I was hurt right. because selfishly, I wanted to race New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, this is no longer a race for us. I, I am working actively on climate policy that protects places like New Orleans so that hopefully, and, and climate wasn't the only thing that was a problem with New Orleans, let's just say that. There were a lot of problems yes. with yes. races in New Orleans. But at least to help to get to a place where climate policy and the infrastructure and resources that they need to protect people who are racing are in place and then business and community can make those decisions. But I was hurt. I, mm -hmm. I was hurt. <laughs> Heather is like, I want my beignets ready at right. the finish. Okay. I want them ready. Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. Oh I my gosh. So ready. That would Don't be amazing. Know, I had them. I'm not going to lie. Got that is absolutely fine. You know, um, I'll waste a trip to New Orleans. Exactly. But. Exactly. <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, look, look, we, we've been we've been on for a good while, probably longer than our listeners are used to, which can be great um, because I hope they were eating it up like I was for sure. Um, but, you know, I think, Heather, you've brought up a lot of points that we need to consider. I mean, obviously, we didn't talk about this at the beginning, but Heather, uh, wife, mother, attorney, daughter of a civil rights leader uh, and uh, game changer, I could go on and on with all the things, uh, 70 points, all, all the things that Heather does, mm-hmm. my sorority sister, all the things. Um, but we needed this perspective, right? We yeah. needed it because it sounds like we've got a, a bit of homework to do mm-hmm. um, when it comes to this type of work, because uh, we usually talk a lot about inclusion and equity and diversity and uh, endurance sport. Let's bring it all together because this yeah. is affecting everyone. And Really, I, I loved your point, Lisa, around, you know, when are we going to get to the point that we are really thinking in terms of community rather than individualism? And can can we do it both at the same time? I, mm-hmm. I have to do my training, but I can care about every other athlete out there while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So what, why can't we pull all of that together? Um, so we got we got some connecting of the dots to do, Lisa, when it comes to this work, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Tri. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.